Okay guys, I am so excited about this topic today. I have been putting off um, recording an episode on personality disorders, narcissism, borderline personality disorders specifically for a long time. Of course, I have notes and ideas, but I have had some really cool sessions in the last 24 hours related to this topic. And I am squeezing in a podcast because I just can't wait. And I'm sorry, it probably won't be super organized, but I hope it's helpful. And it's kind of an introduction to the cluster B personality disorders, which I will explain very briefly, but this is kind of a, a bird's eye view overview, my two cents worth. And to be honest, this is really kind of how I work with my clients. So um, this is how I am. I do a lot of brainstorming. I share little bits and pieces and nuggets. And so anyway, I'm only have 35 minutes before my next client. And I just met with my eight o'clock client this morning and my nine o'clock client yesterday. Um, it was just so cool. I'm really kind of bursting at the seams. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, I got to clear my throat. This is just very raw. <clears throat> um, meaning this isn't going to be edited. Um, but, um, so don't even know exactly where to start. Um, I will try to give you a little bit more in depth information about personality disorders in another podcast, but there are three clusters of personality disorders. And the one that I am most familiar with and work with the most is cluster B, which is generally considered to be more the attention seeking dramatic type of personality disorders. Um, and I'm really am talking off the top of my head. So I hope, I hope I don't, you know, summarize this inaccurately. Um, but there is also a cluster that's more the anxiety type of personality disorders, like a dependent personality disorder or an avoidant personality disorder. And then I believe it's C it's terrible cluster C I get a and C kind of confused just because I don't really review this information very often, but, um, <clears throat> cluster C is the, um, odd eccentric personality disor disorders, like, and I don't always know how to uh, pronounce this, but schizoid or schizoid and schizotypal and things like that, uh, paranoid. Um, anyway, I need to review that, but Google it. Um, it's fascinating. So in cluster B, besides borderline and narcissistic is histrionic, which I don't work with um, frequently, but they are, I would consider them to be sort of cousin disorders. So the stuff in B, you know, there's overlap. Um, there's kind of similar themes and traits. And there are people that have traits of a personality disorder, but they don't meet full criteria. So, um, but I've worked with a quite a few people who've had borderline personality disorder, narcissistic, or were in a relationship with someone who has that. So, um, okay. So I'm going to delve into some of these really cool conversations. So yesterday I was talking to a 50 year old who was very hurt by a best friend who 
has been very unforgiving of her this last year. She's been going through a lot of hard times and, you know, wasn't able to be as present because of some grief and some life transitions and her friend just wouldn't forgive her and is very self-centered and entitled and needs to be the center of attention and things like that. And so, um, she mentioned, uh, my client mentioned that when narcissism came up and I said, you know, it sounds like she might have some traits of a narcissist. And she said, yes, she does, but she is insecure and that doesn't fit. And I said, well, ironically, a lot of people don't realize that narcissists are frequently insecure and it, and it's actually often a kind of, uh, what's the word? It's a key piece of the narcissist personality is the arrogance and entitlement is kind of a facade or a, a way to cope with an inner insecurity or like a, a fracture in self-esteem and that kind of thing. So, um, I Googled it, which I like to do and said, let, let me just find, you know, some, some articles about our narcissist insecure. And I found a couple of articles about vulnerable narcissists, which I had not heard that phrase. Um, there are lots of types of narcissists, which you can, um, Google as well. I did read a, a good book by Wendy Bahari about five or 10 years ago, um, called disarming the narcissist. And she has some really good uh, material on types of narcissists, which is, it's very complex. And with all disorders, there are usually 10 or 12 criteria. And if you meet like 60 or 70%, then you're considered to meet that diagnosis. So I'm going to rattle some of the traits, um, that we use to diagnose people in the, um, from the diagnostic and statistical manual. Um, and again, this is off the top of my head and this is how I am with my clients. Um, so I will in, end up forgetting some, but, um, please do Google it. So some of the traits that stand out are arrogance, um, kind of haughty attitudes, acting superior, um, and then a lack of empathy, feeling entitled, feeling like the rules don't apply to you. Um, also lacking empathy, um, really just being self-centered and, you know, exploiting others for your gain. Another one is being jealous of others and assuming others are jealous of you. Um, maybe very competitive. This woman I met with yesterday, her good friend was very competitive with her and very insecure. Um, like didn't want to, you know, this client of mine to meet her best friend, um, who lives fairly close, uh, because she's jealous or threatened and feels insecure. It's, it's kind of like, um, let's see, like there's not enough to go around in the world instead of viewing the world as a place where there's plenty. Like I can refer to other clients, I mean, to other therapists because, there are plenty of clients to go around. I don't need to be threatened by other psychologists or therapists in town. Um, so anyway, I've, there's one more. I interrupted myself. Um, let's see, exploit, being competitive with others. 
Um, so those are, those are the majority of the traits. Again, I need to review. I think I said grandiose, um, having a grandiose sense of self. Oh yeah. An excessive need for admiration. That's another one. Um, and again, you might recognize you have one or two of these traits. I think most of us have one or two of these traits, but, um, you know, if you don't meet, like, like I said, 60 or 70%, you may not qualify for, the full disorder. So, um, so when I told my client yesterday about the vulnerable narcissist, um, she was, you know, saying, Ooh, I have that one. I have this one. Um, oh, and she also, my client yesterday has a very difficult relationship with her mother and some trauma and ongoing conflict with her mother. So, um, so she was kind of thinking both sides of her brain a little bit yesterday, like, does my friend have this trait? And then do I have this trait, which I love that she is, you know, doing some soul searching and not just pointing the finger, um, at her friend. So I'm going to go ahead and read through these. Um, I'll try to read through the 12 without commenting too much. Um, and this is called, um, the article, let's see, it came from Very Well Mind, which is a great website, and it's called 12 Signs of a Vulnerable Narcissist by Arlen, A-R-L-I-N, oh, I'm going to miss butcher her, her name, I think it's a woman, um, Kunchik, um, C-U-N-C-I-C, um, so 12 signs of a vulnerable narcissist. Vulnerable narcissism is also known as covert narcissism. So probably just meaning harder to see, harder to detect, not as obvious. Um, and it says people with this type of narcissism tend to be more vulnerable to rejection and have difficulty forming meaningful relationships. Um, and, you know, this is going to be a key piece of what I want to talk about today because there's a real self-protective, defensive posture in narcissism and borderline personality disorder that's kind of like false advertising or a tough exterior, like someone we would say their bark is worse than their bite, or yeah, um, they look scary when they're incredibly scared. Um, they look intimidating when they're incredibly vulnerable and kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Um, I don't remember <laughs> who the guy behind the, the curtain is, what his name was. Maybe it's Oz. I have no idea. He's the wizard. I'm terrible at these details, but um, he's this tiny man that's acting all scary behind the curtain. So another thing you could Google Um in case I'm not accurate, but, um, so how to spot one of these vulnerable narcissists. <clears throat> okay. Difficulty handling criticism. Okay. I'm already going to comment. A lot of narcissists really are too scared to apologize or admit they're wrong or to admit they don't know something. Um, they feel a need to be perfect or, um, to just have that hard exterior need for constant praise, unclear sense of self. This is definitely a big trait of borderlines as well. Even though again, this list is related more to, um, narcissist 
for this article. Manipulative tendencies. That's another huge crossover with borderlines and narcissists. And I would honestly say, just kind of thinking about these as I go, this type of a narcissist is probably um, a really close cousin to borderline, um, like a first cousin instead of a second cousin. Inability to empathize, tr like most of you will know what that means, but trouble putting yourself in someone else's shoes or understanding how your actions might affect that person emotionally or mentally. Um, and I will say too, that if your nervous system is on guard and scared and like your sympathetic nervous system is activated um, in fight or flight mode, it makes a lot of sense. It's harder to empathize when you're scared and you feel threatened and you're in fight or flight mode. So I think this is a real healing piece of um, personality disorders, which I will be talking about, is when you feel safe, you can start healing and your body goes into a different mode or a different gear, which I've talked about on several podcasts. Um, it's called polyvagal theory. Um, your vagus nerve kind of goes into different modes depending on who you're with. Um, and some people are just chronically in fight or flight mode because they've been through so much trauma, so many abusive relationships. And so I think that is a very interesting piece is do they really deep down have the inability to empathize or are they just so stressed and so scared that they can't get their channels open in their body? Their body is in like I said, the sympathetic nervous system overdrive um, or the dorsal collapse, the dorsal shutdown instead of ventral vagal, which is when your channels are open. And I would like to think that myself and all therapists can put clients into um, a state of acceptance and calm and ventral vagal mode to where they can be open. And that's part of my exciting story today, um, <clears throat> why I was so proud of both of these clients. And I'll tell you that here. That's kind of an exciting piece and near the end. Um, so um, difficulty forming relationships. Again, if you're prickly and on guard, it's hard to be your real self and be your best self and to also make other people feel comfortable. Um, the energy or the facial expression, um, you can call it your resting facial expression. Um, and a lot of us don't even know how we look. Um, we can look angry. People call it RBI, uh, RBF, resting bitch face. <laughs> um, or it could just be depressed face or nervous face. And, and we can be hard to approach when we look, um, you know, just sort of like we're in angst or we're in stress or something like that. All right. Controlling behavior. Um, just to explain this one, it says individuals living with narcissistic vulnerability may try desperately hard to control every aspect of their lives, including other people's lives. They may attempt to micromanage everything from conversations and decisions to activities. And then jealousy and envy. That's pretty obvious. Um, maybe making negative comparisons or showing overly competitive behavior. 
difficulty trusting others. Um, again, there's a lot of trauma for most people that leads to being narcissistic or having borderline personality disorder. Um, these people often have trouble trusting others, even closest to them. And in fact, I would say a lot of people are worse with people closest to them because there's the greatest attachment there. There's the greatest importance. So there's more to lose with strangers. You may not be as self-protective because you're not as invested or you don't have a bond. So, um, there's less motivation or fear in protecting yourself or pushing people away or attacking people, which I know seems very ironic. Um, but if you think about it, I've used this analogy before. If, if you had like, um, <laughs> I guess this is kind of a funny and stupid example, but I still like it. If you had like sat in out of a hundred chairs, 20 of them broke, then you would be a lot more paranoid about sitting in a chair than someone who had never been in a chair that broke. Um, so if you've, you know, half of your relationships or maybe even both of your parents were not safe people or were emotionally abusive or verbally abusive, or you just did not feel loved and accepted, then you might go into the world thinking, wow, both of my parents did not make me feel loved and accepted and safe. So in their mind, maybe two out of two chairs, the primary two chairs they ever sat in broke and hurt them, then you're going to be very cautious and careful and wary. And it may look weird, you know, to be testing chairs or to not trust things, but that is a very normal reaction to want to protect yourself. So I do think self-protection is a really key hallmark with borderlines and narcissists. So um, projecting blame onto others, um, blaming everyone else rather than looking within themselves for explanations as to why things didn't turn out the way they wanted. So taking responsibility is very hard for vulnerable people who are narcissistic and, and borderline. Um, poor boundaries. Um, trying to see if there's anything worth elaborating on. I love that the author keeps reminding us of the word vulnerability. So feeling unprotected, unsafe. Um, I often use the example of a dog. Um, you know, dogs that roll over when they feel safe and they let you pet their belly. That's a big compliment when you know that a dog rolls over because it feels very safe and it's in ventral vagal mode. But a dog that's been through trauma, um, you know, sometimes we might adopt or foster a dog who hates men or hates women or hates um, a man with black hair instead of a man with blonde hair. You know, there's something that's happened to condition that dog to have fear of certain people. Um, could even be the sound of the voice. A deeper voice might scare a dog more than a, a quieter voice. Um, okay, let's see. Poor boundaries. Um, fear of abandonment. And that is more associated with borderlines than narcissists, but I think it's it's in the criteria for borderline disorder, personality disorder. It's not in the criteria for 
um, narcissism, but it's definitely an overarching theme. So I'm going to read this one real quick. People with this personality vulnerability may struggle with a deep fear of abandonment and they may cling to people too tightly or become overly possessive to prevent others from leaving them. Um, And even though this article doesn't say this, um, with borderline personality disorder, there's a really old classic book called I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Another really good one called Stop Walking on Eggshells. And the I Hate You, Don't Leave Me refers to pushing people away in order to test them, like the chair example. And um, you really don't want them to leave, but you also don't want them to control you or smother you or engulf you. That word is E-N-G-U-L-F. That word is brought up a lot in the book, Stop Walking on Eggshells by Mason and Kreger, K-R-E-G-E-R. So anyway, that's the 12. Um, And I don't have time to go into all the causes, but um, some here in this article, it says some causes are childhood maltreatment or neglect. Um, And it's probably, there are complex causes that involve genetics, biological vulnerabilities, along with parent-child interactions that might involve too much adoration. This is another unexpected piece. Um, And I have read some articles about this, like unrealistic adoration um, and not enough validation that fit or match the child's lived experience. So um, I have read some articles saying that if you have one parent that's very, very critical or unaccepting or um, whatever you want to call it, hard on you, and then the other parent might compensate by being really, really nice or enabling or like overly doting or that word unrealistic adoration that's in this article, it can sort of prevent that sort of dialectic of the insecurity that's compensated for by acting arrogant. And that is where it, you know, most people think of a narcissist as being selfish and arrogant. And although that is true, the insecurity is really what underlies the arrogance and the woundedness underlines, uh, underlies most of this. So, um, okay. If I can come back to, um, this later, I will, but please read this article. Um, I want to share a few more examples. So when I spoke to this 50 year old woman yesterday and we read through, I think she felt like out of those 12 traits, she had eight or nine. And it was surprising to me because I was trying to help her process this friendship and how to handle it. And she said near the end, I think that this is what I have. And interestingly, when I first met with her, I would say four or five, six months ago, I'm not sure, her daughter had told her that she thought she was a narcissist and her daughter's in her 20s. And um, I didn't get that sense um, from her, but, you know, I was just so impressed that she was able to say, wow, I think this is what I have. I think I'm a vulnerable narcissist. And um, I will say that a lot of my clients that I have 
um, felt like had some borderline traits or narcissistic traits, I have asked them to look at a checklist so that they can potentially diagnose themselves instead of me coming out and saying, I think you are a borderline or I think you're a narcissist. I will ask them what they think and um, that tends to go well. Um, it, or it, it's more well received for them to really think through it instead of having a label slapped on them, which sounds, it can feel hurtful. Um, so that's, that's yesterday. Um, trying to see if there's any more notes. Um, but yeah, this person's friend was very, had a lot of classic narcissistic traits. I mean, just a bunch. Um, so then this morning, I met with a man who is about 65 years old and he has a son who's 30 and the son's mother, um, had been a very wounded person that wasn't able to provide a really strong grounding environment for the son as a, as a child. And the son has been very prickly and somewhat difficult with his father and somewhat emotionally abusive. And so the 65 year old man who I've been working with for over five years, um, he would sometimes just take a break from talking to him and just be like, you know, he's mad at me again. Um, you know, and he said this to me again, and I just don't know what I did wrong. And he definitely walked on eggshells around his son. Um, and I've been urging him for a while to try to realize his son is wounded and not to tolerate and put up with abuse. Um, the idea of turning the other cheek is great, but it's not supposed to be equated with tolerating abuse and being treated badly, even when you're the, the father, you know? Um, so one of the pieces of advice, and I don't know what book this came from, it might've been from that Wendy Bahiri book, it said that it's a good idea to view a narcissist as a 12 year old and to try to imagine them in your mind. And I would say the same thing with a borderline. They are very wounded, very scared. They look scary. They look intimidating. They might be abusive. Um, but to try to just think they're scared, try to view them as a child, maybe having a temper tantrum or something like that. And I even had a 20 year old, um, guy client who was, would view his father this way. So, um, the age of the person doesn't always matter, but their emotional age could be very different than their actual chronological age. So this 20 year old said, I try to view my dad as a 12 year old. And he definitely had read about narcissism and, um, felt like that fit his father. So, um, when I spoke with this man this morning, I was encouraging him to maybe things are better with his son. And I'm so, so thankful. And I told him, you know, when your son is disrespectful or unfair or treats you badly, I think you should say, I don't deserve to be treated this way. Um, but but to try to view him as being very scared and vulnerable. So um, I told him about the 12 traits of a vulnerable narcissist and sent him the article. And he 
Um, I, I try to explain how insecurity is a big piece of the narcissism. And he, as we were talking, um, said, I think that this fits me. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, an unexpected twist again. I'm trying to help someone understand, you know, the inner workings of someone important in their life who's hurt them really badly. Um, and they ended up saying, I think this is me. And he gave me permission to share this quote. He said, I'm not so sure I don't have some of the same traits. I will put on a facade of confidence, but inside there's a lot of insecurity. Um, let's see. So anyway, I was just blown away. Um, and so one kind of theme that I feel like could be even the title of this podcast or another podcast is toxic people or abusive people or hurtful people. And then the subtitle could be seeing the vulnerability behind it or looking past the fault to see the need. Um, somebody just reminded me if we, you know, it's a, a Bible passage that says, don't point out the speck in someone else's eye unless you see the log in your own. Um, but, and I've always loved the phrase, look past the fault to see the need. And, um, you know, and on the way down the stairs when we left our session, um, this man said about his son, I like my son. And I said, wow, like I am such uh, a big proponent of the idea of liking people versus loving them. And of course, love is the greatest, but we're going to love people typically like our family, even if we don't like them. Um, and I think that liking can almost be a greater compliment. I don't want to fully say that, but hope you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, you have to like that annoying uncle or something. <laughs> I mean, you have to love them. Did I say that right? But if you like them, that's like even a, a comp, more of a compliment in a strange way. So anyway, um, I just encouraged him to radiate love to his son. That's been a new thing is like being like a radiator that just emits love and looking past the trauma. We all have trauma. Life is hard. Some people have way more trauma. And um, I also have a 45-year-old client who I met with yesterday as well. And she has had just a very hard relationship with both of her parents. And she's in that space of whether she keeps them in her life closely or not. And I generally urge people to try to find some level of connection with someone um, that may just be, you know, whether they just have very low emotional intelligence or a low ability to connect. Um, and I asked this woman yesterday, I said, has your dad ever said anything that sticks with you that was like really, really supportive, like words that you've held on to? Um, and, and she thinks her dad is on the spectrum and I do too, just a um, little bit robotic and black and white, matter of fact, um, definitely doesn't know how to, he's very concrete. He doesn't know how to say a lot of supportive things. 
And at first she said no. And then she thought of one time he was supportive after she went through a divorce. He made a supportive comment. Um, but she just doesn't feel seen by him at all. And, um, and it's sad because she deeply wants a better connection with her parents and it just hardly ever happens. Um, and then her mother is probably a narcissist or borderline. I've never met her, um, trying to help my client figure out, um, what might fit. Um, her mom says more intentionally hurtful things and, um, she really couldn't remember anything that her mom had said that just really filled her tank, but yet she's had like a colleague or a professor say, oh, whoever marries you is going to be so lucky or they're going to, if I ever set you up with someone, they're going to be the luckiest person. And that is something that just fuels her soul and fills her bucket. And it, one of the high lights of her life was hearing something like that, but she wanted to hear it from her parents and she never has. Um, so anyway, um, I feel like I touched on most of what I wanted to say today. Um, it is a hard balance to strike of when do you protect yourself from someone or cut them off, um, confront them, talk to them, go to therapy with them. I did encourage this 45 year old to potentially bring her mother with her to a session and she's reluctant. Um, her nervous system definitely goes into overdrive um, and fight or flight mode around her parents. And she's keeping them at a real distance for her sanity and her mental health. And she will sometimes choose to spend holidays alone um, just because being alone is better than being for her with people who treat her badly, hurt her feelings, don't see her, don't understand her. Um, in fact, she told her mother that being alone near the holidays was really hard and that a lot of single people are lonely at the during the holidays. And her mother said, really, I didn't know that. And that's an example of like, what, like, why would you say that? And that is so obvious. I mean, it's so understandable. And just of all the things she could have said, why does she say that? Um, so, and again, I know people can say things out of obliviousness. Um, I think with her father, she would maybe not view that as intentionally hurtful because she thinks sometimes he's a little bit clueless and he, he doesn't mean any harm, but her mother, um, is more likely to actually intentionally make hurtful comments, um, to frustrate her and hurt her. So, um, anyway, but I, it's hard. I would definitely talk to a trusted friend or a counselor when you're trying to figure out whether to um, cut someone out of your life for a while or do therapy or write them a letter, confront them um, or stay in a relationship. But for a lot of my clients, once they kind of understand what's going on and how predictable it is and how you can feel like you're walking in a minefield or that you're dealing with a a person who can be very emotionally hurtful or abusive, but yet you understand how scared they are, how wounded they are, you can sort of have a different paradigm or a different narrative about why they do that. And you can be prepared for it 
and understand why it makes sense. And you can actually stay in relationship with them and just have the bar really low and try not to personalize it, even though it feels very personal and, and sometimes it is very personal, but it's more a sign of the, the fear and the vulnerability and the insecurity inside that person who is trying to protect themselves. So I hope this is helpful and thanks for listening.